This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 858 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Greetings, horse people. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is an excerpt from the Horse.com's weekly horse health report on the Horses in the Morning show. The Hit'em crew is joined by the Horse.com digital editor, Michelle Anderson, and Sue McDonald to talk about what the semi-feral ponies living at New Bolton Center can teach us about equine behavior without human influences. And we'll get right to our tip after this message from StatelineTech.com. When the weather forecast calls for wind, rain, bone-chilling temperatures, or snow, look no further than StatelineTac.com to make sure your barn time is warm, dry, and stylish. StatelineTac.com has jackets and vests that keep you warm and dry from afternoon hacks in New England to break-of-dawn schooling sessions in Wellington. They also carry a wide selection of toasty warm breeches for schooling ring or show ring. They even have waterproof breeches for those days when Mother Nature is at her worst. And StatelineTac.com knows there's nothing more satisfying than having warm, dry feet at the barn. So they have beautiful winter boots for showing, weather-busting paddock boots for on the horse or off, and lots of rubber boots for mucking about. Surf over to StatelineTac.com today and choose from your favorite brands like Ariat, Debonair, Dublin, Mountain Horse, Carrots, Tough Rider, and many, many more. StatelineTac.com. That's right. It is time for the Horse.com and their weekly horse health report. And with us is Michelle Anderson, digital editor of the Horse.com. And Michelle, we have so many people listening to the show right now. I'm hoping, I'm guessing, I'm getting you. Say hello. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Good morning, Woo. Glenn. Got the right one. <laughs> it's me. I know it's your me. phone number now. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> oh, so you're ready for me, huh? I'm ready. Yes, we're ready to go. Um, now, we're talking about, what exactly are we talking about today? I got the email, but I still wasn't quite sure. Okay. So, I was at this ISIS conference that we talked about last weekend. It was in Delaware, right on the border with Pennsylvania. We spent some time at New Bolton Center at University of Pennsylvania, and there we got to see the semi-feral herd of ponies uh, that Dr. Sue McDonald's been researching for for the past 20 years, and it was fascinating. So they actually have them there at New Bolton Center? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. They have a big pasture full of little ponies that, uh, well, Sue will tell us more about it. Dr. McDonald, are you you with us? How are you? (laughs) Good morning. Oh, are you Hello? there, Dr. McDonald? Yes, I'm here. Okay, good. I'm oh, here at New Bolton Center. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, so, yeah, I can't even explain these ponies. So I'm just going to start asking you questions, and you can tell us all about them. Um, so first off, let's start by having you tell everyone a little bit about what you do at New Bolton, because you're you're not a vet. You are a Ph.D. who does research in behavior and, and helps with behavior in the vet school. So tell us a little bit about that. 
Uh, right. I started here in the early 1980s as a graduate student studying um, reproductive behavior with the uh, focus in stallions and have never left. So I've, I've filled many uh, positions here in terms of teaching and research and clinical uh, behavior, both reproductive behavior, so stallions with um, breeding difficulties, uh, mares with um, reproduction-related performance problems, all sorts of clinical problems like that, as well as general um, behavior complaints or issues where it's not quite clear. Uh, veterinarians are not able to quite figure out why there's been a behavior change, and they suspect that it it may have a physical problem underlying. So a behaviorist can be very helpful in in looking at the behavior and advising on uh, whether it's a, a, a learned problem or a simple management behavior problem or whether they should keep looking for an underlying physical problem. So, and then uh, so the let research me, that let I me, do... Let me clarify one thing. So that means that you were a doctoral student and then all of a sudden your time was up and they all looked around and said, she's still here and she won't leave. Let's get her ponies. That'll keep her busy for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not exactly oh, okay. how it just happened. Checking. All right, just sorry. Go ahead. But, 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 uh, go but ahead. you did start out with just a couple of these ponies. <laughs> well, my research in uh, sexual behavior dysfunction actually led to um, many years of work for the National Institutes of Health using the stallion as a model for uh, reproductive behavior in men. Hmm. And um, so I had accumulated many ponies as research subjects for study of the physiology and pharmacology of, of all aspects of reproductive physiology in men. And uh, that led into uh, some questions that arose from some young students about the social behavior and interaction of horses under natural conditions, which the only way we could answer them was to actually create a small which was only supposed to be a short-term project. That was in 1994. We um, <laughs> turned out 13 males and 13 females to let them organize and breed under their own uh, as they wish without any interruption or, or any help from us. And uh, so that's how the, the herd actually started. And um, at that point, I got uh, very fascinated with what we could learn from looking at horses living under natural social conditions um, every day of the year. There had been quite a few studies where people went out to look at herds of horses, but they were limited by, you know, the, the geography and the climate to maybe looking at them for a couple weeks at a time here and there rather than to, to have long-term histories and knowing the parentage and, and how things went um, long-term. So... That's what's kept us going for 20 years. So how Where did these many ponies po come from? Like, did, did, were they already feral ponies? or? No, um, the original 26 animals were mostly purchased from a local stock auction here where we were careful to get them from different parts of the country hoping that they had no relatedness so that we would start out with as much genetic diversity as possible. And most of them, to us, appeared to be ponies that had been bred that never handled, you know, young young animals that hadn't really 
had any introduction to domestic, but of course they came from domestic sources. So in this area at that time, there were quite a few people who would have backyard ponies. They'd have accidental offspring and not do much with them and send them to the meat auction here um, when they no longer could handle them. And uh, so we took them from there. So some of them were fairly fairly wild in our estimation. (laughs) (laughs) So now how many ponies has that left you with today? Well, of course, we've had to have population control because if you do the numbers, and they're very fertile, every mare has a full beginning at age two. So most of them become pregnant before their first birthday and full before their second birthday. And they have a full then consistent with breeding on full heat every year thereafter. So if you do the math, we would have thousands by now, but we take out some each year. And um, we now have, uh, we're at our maximum carrying capacity of just over 100. And within those 100, how much space do they have? They have approximately 35 to 40 acres of uh, very good Chester County um, pasture, and they they average three to four hundred pounds. They're small Shetland type ponies. So in good years, for example, this year, which is a nice wet year, that uh, grass will stay in good shape through the entire season, and then we give them grass hay that we spread out strategically to so as not to disturb their social behavior. Um, uh, we feed in the winter the, the same sort of grass uh, forage that, that they're eating um, during the growing season. And so within that herd, um, how many groups do you have? Right now we have uh, 11 distinct groups and a couple new harem groups forming. It's the time of the year where new new harem groups uh, form, So, and there's a bit of a transition time where they kind of come and go from their natal band, but uh, we'll probably in the fall settle out with 12 or 13 distinct groups. So that would be uh, 10 harem groups, and we right now have what looks like are going to be two bachelor bands that are more or less cooperative when they need to be, but more or less separate um, when things are quiet. Watching the ponies, and they gave us a good show because they came right up to the fence while while our group was there, (laughs) and so we got to see all of them in action, but it reminded me of watching bees in a hive. It was just nonstop action. Is, Is that what they're like all the time? Yes, they were actually a little bit sedate that day. It was a very hot afternoon, and so while they were initially inspired by all of our activity, they don't often have a couple tour buses and and someone with a microphone, so that that was their initial activity was probably enhanced by that. But then uh, it was generally quite quiet because it was so hot, and... um, but they, they move a lot. That's one of the great uh, findings we've had from this herd is that they move as much as 100 miles a day. That would be mares, foals, and stallions at their busiest time of the year. And that's just their eating behavior and their social interaction. So when you have stallions and mares and uh, youngsters, it, it keeps the activity going. <laughs> I have to tell you, uh, Dr. McDonald, I went riding this weekend up in the mountains, and after about seven miles, my uh, 
big quarter horse was very tired. And I was like, dude, <laughs> if these ponies can cover uh, 100 miles a day, you can cover 10. <laughs> You're going to make it. But, <laughs> um, but it's definitely changed my perception on how much my horses, how much activity they, they really do need after seeing those little ponies going all the time. Because mine just stand out there and eat <laughs> and exercise, you know, a few times a week. But um, so with, with the ponies, you know, they came up to us and they were interested in people watching them. So what does semi-feral mean? Because feral sounds you know, wild to me. Um, right. Fer- the term feral just means that they, that animals that were of, of stock that was at one time domestic and now running free, which is all the the remaining horses around the world. There are no truly wild horses that have never, um, that none of their ancestors um, were ever domestic. And so these ponies are feral, but they are contained and somewhat managed. So the term that behavioral biologists use for herds of animals like that or groups of animals is semi-feral, meaning we we keep them as undisturbed undisturbed as possible, but they are contained and they're, for example, these animals are supplemental fed over the winter just because they're not free to go on to greener pasture, to migrate to greener pastures. So we have to, excuse me, supplement them with some grass hay. So do they receive any additional care? They have uh, some basic um, required vaccinations. Although, very interestingly, um, some of the vaccinations we have not proceeded onward with because, uh, for example, West Nile virus moved into this area. And one thing that was very conspicuous about this herd is while our domestic horses in the area were succumbing to West Nile virus and we were seeing cases in the hospital that in in spite of 24-7 exposure to mosquitoes with West Nile virus, they were not becoming sick. And um, uh, the question came up, should we vaccinate them? And I said, well, let's first take their titers and see where they are. And, of course, they had what are the uh, amazing natural titers. When you get exposed naturally, you get very nice uh, high titers. And um, so instead of vaccinating them now, we just follow the titers spring and fall. So they're, in essence, a sentinel herd for the amount of... um, you know, virus there is in the area that that horses are being exposed to, but they otherwise get um, they get eastern, western encephalomyelitis vaccinations, uh, tetanus and rabies. When they leave the herd, they get a Coggins test. Um, we have very minimal uh, parasite load in the herd, so we've um, uh, gone to strategic deworming and we re- rarely do they have any signs of parasites that would require deworming. Um, they don't need uh, teeth care or hoof care. We monitor that. We study that. But they do very well. When they're foraging off the ground, um, their teeth are in the proper orientation while they're chewing, and they don't have the problems that our domestic horses have when we um, feed them um, different types of forages and feed them up off the ground. Um, they, they naturally wear their hooves and, and uh, go through a natural trimming cycle. Um, so um, they don't need who for dental care. Do they clean um, their own paddock? Anything else I missed? That do they clean their pardon? own paddock? Um, do they clean their own paddock, their own field? Just asking. Well, we so don't I, seem to. Uh, could Mother you teach Nature them to do that? To because that? that in this environment, we seem to have enough precipitation that we don't get a really, um, 
you know, an overload of um, fecal material that worries us. They, because of, they use natural um, windbreaks and a natural shelter, um, depending on the weather conditions, they're standing in different places at different times so that you don't get like you would if you had sheds where they're they're standing in one place and getting an accumulation and, and that the substrate gets worrisome. So the, the substrate at any time, you could sit down and have a picnic just about anywhere and not worry that you're sitting in, in fecal material. We do get stud piles where the stallions have their little, where they... Um, defecate on one another's defecation and and there's an accumulation and every stallion who passes stops and investigates and adds to the pile but other than that just about anywhere you could lay your picnic cloth down and open a bottle of wine and you know what you you know what that means i'm a horse husband so you know what all of that just meant to me is jennifer i don't have to clean the pack anymore that's what that means I'm off the hook. That is not what that. Doctor McDonald just said gonna, I don't have I'm to do jump it. I'm going to in for Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it means that you need a, a semi-feral herd of ponies on 40 acres running around. <laughs> um, so you've mentioned Doctor McDonald some of the research that you've done on on them. Uh, what kind of contributions have they offered the domestic horse? Well, probably, you know, I'm a reproductive behavior specialist, so probably the thing that stands out most for me is that it's really improved our understanding of reproductive behavior and the effect that males have on other males, the the harem and bachelor effect um, that's that's actually been... um, embraced by the more progressive uh even in the thoroughbred industry where where they need to still do natural covers um and so they require um sustained libido of breeding stallions um the effects that we've been able to demonstrate of of housing um and exposure to mares to enhance um their breeding potential and their fertility has probably been the greatest overall contribution in my mind, but but there's just so many um, contributions they make here locally with our vet students who can see how healthy the animals are and all the little things that get people thinking about how we could better manage horses under domestic conditions so as to keep them um, healthier, number one, more fertile, um, free of diseases, and um, a much better welfare and we, it doesn't require that you have full um, natural social conditions but you can often organize your farm in a way that that kind of compromises um, a nice compromise on efficiency of handling them and, and ease of handling them with providing them with the best uh, social environment yeah and one thing that really fascinated me um and i'm I live in the desert, so I don't see grass all that often <laughs> irrigated, but how green and lush your grass is there in Pennsylvania, but that the ponies uh don't have a history of laminitis, which I thought was really interesting, yeah, and it's even more fascinating because this particular breed of small Shetland type ponies are probably most people would would make a case that they are the greatest of all the breeds they are at the greatest risk of developing laminitis and in fact when they leave this herd it's very sad because we have difficulty placing them with people who can keep them from having 
um, foundering within a year or two of, of leaving here. So I think having grown up under these conditions may even make them at greater risk. But we've not had any uh, laminitis in the herd um, in all those years. And so it's it's just very conspicuously important that we look at all the factors that um, um, would protect these animals by being under these conditions. And so is there anything about the ponies that has surprised you as a researcher? Oh, every day is, every day <laughs> is a surprise. And one of the things, you know, we we um, when we first started, and I thought this would go for a couple years, and then after a couple years I had had so many new insights into horse behavior, and I thought that, you know, this is this is how it is and this you know you come up with wow I never realized this and it's always this way and then the next year you would find an exception to that and so that's one of the inspirations for keeping it going because while we're building on the knowledge and getting more and more confident in our observations that they hold true in other herds and that sort of thing then sure enough up comes an exception which jogs your thinking again so um, yeah every day is, is a surprise and uh, one one great surprise that I'll share with you is how how much they seem to communicate one with the other, even in events that are quite rare. For example, occasionally we we don't have many predators that would would challenge the herd, but occasionally a domestic dog finds its way into the enclosure. And our fencing is such that they can sometimes find a little opening under the the fencing and get in, but then they move on and and when they want to leave they can't find another opening to get out so um under those conditions it's really interesting how all the stallions will work together the bachelors and the harem stallions who generally don't like each other don't seem to like each other very much they will all collaborate in the way like you might have seen working dogs collaborate and they will all go and help take care of getting this dog out of the enclosure i feel really bad for the dog because you feel like it's going to be you know, pushed through the wire fence like a cheese slicer, <laughs> um, but they will all um, get in formation, almost like a military formation, and double barrel kick towards the dog. And uh, you know, it's such an, a remarkable thing. And on the same lines, they will. Uh, the st- another very surprising thing of stallions was how much parenting behavior they do, and how when the youngsters start wandering away from home in play groups as they often do at about four or five months of age, where where different foals from different harem groups will go out and sort of play. Often a stallion, in fact, a stallion and harem stallions will take turns being the designated babysitter for the kindergarten, so to speak. And uh, so seeing paternal behavior in stallions has been quite shocking uh, at first, and it continues to surprise us and the students when they see it. They had no idea that stallions would be the primary parent um, even though they, the foals still run home for a suck now and then, um, they, the, the stallion is the main parent. And where is, that's fascinating. These ponies are so fascinating. Where can, is there somewhere online where we can, uh, where we can follow them or that you have more information on them? We have a, a behavior lab website. If you just Google, um, horse behavior pen, P E N N short for University of Pennsylvania, um, you should be able to get to our website, and we have our scientific publications posted and a few other 
tidbits. And also the Horse Magazine, um, I write a column for them answering questions that uh, from the public um, uh, every month or mostly every month. And if you look in their archives, many of the questions we find um, uh, that we have comments concerning the natural horse behavior um, that, that help us answer those questions. So that's another good way to follow. Very good. Well, thank you, Michelle, for bringing this to us today. Of course, Michelle is from thehorse.com. Uh, we really appreciate you being here every week. And uh, what a fascinating topic. And uh, you know how I love ponies. So, um. Yeah. Oh, they just like <laughs> the biggest question I got when I got back and started talking to my friends about the ponies is how do I get a job doing that? How do I set a pony? <laughs> <laughs> I, you so, know, at, thank t- you. at times in the past, I have owned a semi feral uh, herd of ponies, much to my wife's dismay. So, um, <laughs> thank you guys. Really appreciate it. And that just about takes care of it. To listen to more of the horse.com's tips, just go to horsetipdaily.com and look for the experts drop-down menu on the left. If you love listening to the Horses in the Morning gang putting in their two cents on all things horse, you can tune in every weekday at horsesinthemorning.com for fascinating interviews, news stories from around the world, and clever contests and general horsey hijinks. You can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go now with our new free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to your app store and search for Horse Radio Network. Don't forget to support our sponsors here on Horse Tip Daily because they really do make these podcasts possible. And this podcast has been brought to you through the generous support of StatelineTAC.com. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.